Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. Welcome to this next episode of my podcast, and this is going to be about the Tower of Babel, so it'll be fun. Uh, I know a lot of people these days are into tracing ancestors, so in this one hour, I'm going to help you figure out how to trace your ancestors all the way back to Adam. Okay, not really, (laughs) but... uh, uh, actually, um, maybe in the big picture, if you know what nationality you're from or nationalities, because most people now have, have several nations and, and histories, uh, places they're from, their ancestors are from, um, you can probably figure out where those nations came from, which is kind of interesting. And I'm going to give you some resources uh, and some books and some thoughts on this as well as what the Bible says. So this should be a lot of fun. Um, I am very exhausted. Uh, I haven't been sleeping well all week and I, it's been, I work outside in Texas (laughs) and it's been a beating and I don't have AC working in my van and, uh, Thankfully, I've got AC working at home now. (laughs) So for the first part of the summer, uh, the AC wouldn't get cooler than 85 during the hottest part of the day. It did later in the day, but it it seemed that it was working too hard. So we finally got that fixed. But, you know, I'm just living the curse. The curse when Adam and Eve fell, the curse of Adam was that the ground was cursed and he would through sweat and tears and and thorns and thistles would have to till the ground so not that I'm tilling the ground but uh, I I have to struggle outside um, which is different than sitting in in an office all day uh, which I've thankfully never had a job like that Um, I've never been one that feels comfortable sitting down a lot you know I don't know, just, it seems okay, like, on the one hand, I'm thinking, they're in the AC, you know, air conditioning, they're sitting down, they're not doing much, but they're using their brains, which I don't have much of, <laughs> it seems like the more I think, the 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 uh, tired, my brain gets tired head, and I, after about 30 minutes of work, I probably won't be able to think anymore um (laughs) maybe not but yeah my 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 idea of an office is the movie office space or the tv show the office i think my idea is that all offices have people uh that are are those characters (laughs) so so the 
uh, yeah. Um, the people I work with are probably more like the neighbor of the the lead guy in office space. So that's probably more my world. But, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Um, I have a few resources I wanted to dig through today, but I'm kind of like not exactly sure how to go through this. So we will figure this out. You know, I said a little prayer that, you know, that God will direct these things. To be honest with you, in the first few episodes, I really didn't know much about, or I knew much, I knew what I was going to talk about, but I didn't really know exactly how it was going to go. It just, I just went because these are things that I've been studying for the last 10 years and they've come together, you know, better than I would have anticipated. Although I did notice some errors on my part in the last episode, and there's probably more than that. But one of the things I said was the earth is beneath the earth. And what I meant to say was that there was water beneath the earth. Um, I think there was one other one that I said, and I can't think of it right now. But um, yeah, expect more of those mistakes, but hopefully you will understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so we're, today we're talking about the Tower of Babel, which is the next major event in the Bible, and the spread dispersing of nations. So this should be interesting. So we're going to be looking at some at secular history that matches and leads back to the uh, genealogies that are listed in Genesis chapter, uh, the one after the flood. I think it's seven or eight. I can't remember. Um, but anyway, I'll have to look that up. See, I'm not that prepared yet, but I can edit this thing, so... <laughs> That should be fun. Um, yeah, but here's a quick um, bit. Ladies, if you're interested in a guy like me who's out of shape, balding, and lower middle class, you needn't look no further because I'm going to give you 10 ways to attract a guy like me. And you better pay attention because I'm very particular and there's no compromise. Number one, you must have a pulse. If you're dead, you might as well go back to the grave because it's not happening. Number two, be a single female human being. No animals, okay? I'm tired of this. And no, Caitlyn Jenner. Number three, you must be between the ages of 18 and 125. If you're under 18, you're illegal for me. If you're over 125, you probably don't have a pulse. Now, if you're 126 and you happen to be alive, then call me. Number four. Don't pick your nose in public on Thursdays. Picking your nose in public on Thursdays is unattractive 
and disgusting if you pick your nose uh, in public any other day in the week. Call me. Number six, know how to count from one to 10. If you can't count from one to 10, it's not happening. Number seven, you must give me your correct phone number. If you don't give me your correct phone number, I'm sorry, but it's over. That's the way it is. I'm not interested anymore because quite frankly, even if I was, I wouldn't be able to get hold of you. Number eight, looks matter. If you refuse to look at me, I'm sorry, but it's not happening. On the other hand, if you're blind, call me. Number nine, be yourself. If you're somebody else, how am I supposed to know who you are? It's confusing. And besides, how do you do that? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Number 10, subscribe and hit the thumbs up or thumbs down and leave a comment in the comment section. If you leave a comment anywhere else, it's not happening because that's the way YouTube set it up. Thank you for watching. I hope this has been very informative to all of you. And remember, be kind and please rewind. Um, well, I don't know who that was, but if you want to get a hold of that guy, call 1-800-I'M-A-LOSER. That's 1-800-I'M-A-LOSER. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm going to deny ever knowing who that person is. So we will move along now. And in Genesis chapter 10, so this is after the flood, and you have Noah and his three sons and their wives. And I'm not going to read it, but you can go and, and kind of get an idea of where nations came from, the original dispersing of them. And most uh, biblical scholars I'm aware of, so there's Shem, Ham, and Japheth are the three sons. Shem was the father of the Shemites and all the Middle Eastern nations. So we usually think of, of Semites as Jewish people, but Semites are actually all the Arabs and Middle Eastern peoples. Um, Ham was the father of the African nations, including Egypt and uh, the Canaanites, uh, which actually had the, the Middle East for a long time before Israel got there. Um, and then Japheth is known to be the father of the uh, European uh, lineage and Russia. Now, there's debate on Japan and China and the Eastern Asians. Um, some suggest they're from Ham, others from Japheth. I've even heard some from Shem. So I have no idea myself but that's interesting. Um, and uh, now the, the ones that have done deep dives of lineages and uh, ancient uh, chron chronologies, uh, records in different parts of the world, 
suggest that the Eastern Asians are from Ham. So uh, I'm going to lean that way. Um, but generally speaking, I'm not, it doesn't matter to me too much because we're all human. We're all sons of Noah. And so there's really no biblical reason to be a racist. Uh, most of the uh, divisions in the Bible, at least, had more to do with righteousness than than uh, than race. Um, but you know, and real quickly, I'll just state that the promised or the the God's chosen people was mainly because that the Messiah would be born through them. That is Jesus Christ, who is God, was God manifest in the flesh, and He came to save the whole world. So He chose. The, those people and many, some of them were righteous and some of them were not and God called them a stiff-necked people but he also you know used them for his good and uh, so I just wanted to quickly state that in this time that we're living in uh, with with the uh, Black Lives Matter and and everything that's going on now that from my perspective from a biblical perspective is there's really no need to be racist. And um, we'll get into a, a little bit on these dispersing of nations on some of my theories on where races came from. But in um, Genesis 10, you have the sons of Japheth, Shem, and Ham. And Ham was an interesting one. Um, it says that and the sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and Phut and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba and Havla and Sabbath and Rama. And well, it lists these several names that I can barely pronounce. Um, Mizraim, uh, one of the sons, was Egypt. Um, I thought it said that here, but it says that somewhere. Um, but the son of Cush was Nimrod. And he began again to be mighty on one of, on the earth, and he was the king that was was ruling the world during the time of the, this event, the Tower of Babel, and he wanted to build this tower uh, to reach the heavens, and that's when God decided, because God's commandment was that that man should be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, but they were all kind of congregating in one location. And, uh, you know, oftentimes the nature of man is to have a leader and to to follow this leader. And, and sometimes you get power hungry people that take that position. And there, you know, there there is something to having a good leadership to get things organized, and, and, you know, and and working together. But then you have these power trip people that. Um, like I said in the first one, that the first lie was that man could become gods. And these kings of the earth demanded to be worshipped as one. Um, but anyway, so Nimrod's the very first king ever mentioned in the Bible. You know, in the, in the Before the flood, you don't really have uh, any... I mean, I guess... It, it mentions people, but it doesn't really get into much of what happened as far as civilizations. Um, and in verse 10, it says, uh, let's see, uh, verse 9, Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the 
the beginning of the, his kingdom was Babel. So um, when we talk about mystery Babylon in end times, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, I think it's 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 an, a reference to civilization, to kingdoms, in a sense. And I believe this system of mystery Babylon was rooted in at Nimrod. And uh, if you were to listen, uh, read the writings uh, and hear the beliefs of the secret societies, they believe it, it goes back to Nimrod. In fact, they actually believe it goes back to Cain. And uh, there's some interesting things in the Book of Enoch about Cain's lineage and the fallen angels that are in more depth. And it's similar to what uh, the secret societies believe. Um, and I'm not saying it's true, but I, I'm just saying that they believe that it goes back to this. And I have a hunch that it that it probably does as well, um, at least, you know, on the spiritual level. It definitely, you know, Satan be, being behind it all has been around, you know, from the beginning. So um, whether or not these are physically connected to all the kingdoms and nations in the future, Obviously, there were wars against each other, but like if the secret societies behind it were, I don't know. But um, yeah, this kingdom of Babel um, and what this tower was that reached the heavens, I don't know. That's kind of an interesting, uh, some people think it was some kind of portal to to reach things like whether it's spiritual beings or, or other things. I have no idea. The Bible doesn't really state, but let's just say it was a form of pride wanting to reach God, you know, reach the heavens. And I kind of wonder if it was a pyramid because that that's a huge symbol in uh, modern day secret societies. But um, because of this, God decided to divide the earth in um in, verse, in chapter 11, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go, two, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they laid brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar. And they said, Go, two. Let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Uh, some suggest, I think in, in extra-biblical writings, the suggestion is they wanted to build this in case there was another flood that would come, and, and they wanted to build high places to where they could be saved from another flood. So, but I don't know, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but I just wanted to mention that. Verse 5 says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Now, I'm not exactly sure what God means there, because God is all-powerful, you know, I don't know what he's talking about exactly when he's saying nothing is restrained from them. But I think um, one suggestion is that 
you know, in the last days, there will be, you know, Satan will have his time and God has restrained him from having that time ever since. So it just wasn't time yet. And because everything was so connected, everyone spoke the same language. It was easy to unite the whole world. And God said, no, I have plans. So he divided everybody by language. Now, some suggest also that he physically moved people around the world. And that's kind of an interesting thought. But um, there's a video I'm going to play a clip of here a little later about dispersing of nations. And that the timeline actually can work in terms of when people uh, first arrived and the first evidence of people in certain parts of the world. So um, it uh, may have happened quicker than we imagine, you know, like in a few hundred years after Tower of Babel. Um, and he suggests that the scattering began at the famine in Egypt uh, a few hundred years later. But um, that's that's all speculation. But anyway, so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Oh, another thing I was going to mention on scattering or dividing the earth is some suggest also that hyperpangea happened, uh, not over millions of years, but fairly quickly that God may have just separated the continents. And that's why you could have people so early in the Americas and in China and Australia and all over the earth, um, which is a possibility. A possibility is there was an ice age after the flood and the water levels were lower. And thus you had land bridges between the continents and so it was much easier for people to travel. Uh, but, and then after the ice age ended, it, these flooded, like in the middle of the Atlantic or whatever. And uh, th so that's a possibility. Um, but another possibility is they were a lot more advanced than we give them credit for. You know, we've been taught over, uh, you know, according to evolution, everybody's getting stronger and wiser over time. But the Egyptians, there's evidence that they actually were much more advanced, and we don't know how they were so advanced. Well, uh, if they were living 400 years after the flood and 900 before, I think they probably knew a lot more than, than we imagine. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about. So they might have been able to travel a lot swifter than, than we believe. So the other thing I wanted to mention right now is races i talked a little bit about that already but um th there's three i've heard three major uh i guess theories biblical based theories on it uh, just like the theory that god just miraculously moved people around all over the earth or miraculously divided the earth and there was hyperpangea that happened real quick uh one other theory on race is that during after the Tower of Babel, God also changed not only their language, but suddenly there was different races. But um, I tend to to try and take a, an approach that's, uh, po you know, that's all possible. God can do what he wants. But I think it's also possible, these other two explanations, um, one guy who studies DNA suggests that, um, you know, 
there was a lot of intermarriage. Now, in the first several uh, couple millennia after creation, uh, that was not a big problem. Um, you know, people had to marry their brothers and sisters early on. But as time went along, there was damage to the DNA. Uh, you know, it, it's become uh, less... Um, than it was when it was first intended. So there's errors in the process. And when you start having intermarriage later on, it begins to create different features amongst different people, whether it's a scrawny redheaded guy <laughs> like me. I, I'm not that scrawny anymore, but um, whatever it is that, and it, it can include skin color. So one idea is, is that, that it was a lot of intermarriage that led to unique DNA, uh, features, unique genetic features. Um, another thought, and I kind of think this is a part of it. Um, the other guy is definitely qualified when he's talking about DNA, um, but it seems that when you look at where people come from, the ones closer to the equator tend to be darker and the ones further away tend to be lighter. And uh, so it, when people, people scattered around the earth, so I suggest that going back to the canopy theory that I talked about in the last video is that before the flood, the whole world was probably one perfect um, environment. There wasn't extreme weather conditions and, and things. And after the flood, with that canopy gone, now you have these extreme climates and things. So as people scattered around the world, they sort of adapted to their areas. Now people are going to say, well, see, that's evolution. Well, no, uh, I believe that within a kind, so a human kind or any animal kind, there are limits and if they adapt to a certain climate, so like cold climate, for example, um, the human being is going to use more of the genetics that it takes to survive cold weather. And somebody else might use more genetics to survive hot weather. And they may use less and perhaps lose some of that information that they don't need, you know. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. It's That's an interesting thought. But I kind of think that everybody was probably a medium brown originally and then over time uh, as they dispersed that uh, people's uh, genetics were affected as they were closer to the equator probably darkened um, and further away probably became lighter um, but again it has nothing to do there's no reason for racism on this you know at all it's just, we're all human beings. So that those are just some thoughts on race. But um, so real quickly, I want to play a clip here from somebody that's uh, an actual expert. This is from a video on YouTube. Uh, the channel is Cornerstone Television Network. And the name of the video is Origins, Races, and Human Populations. Uh, the host of this uh, network is Don Chapman. And his guest is a geneticist and scientist, Dr. Robert Carter. Okay, the first point that we need to make is that the Bible claims to be the history book of the universe. Genesis is an all-comprehensive account 
of God creating everything, where it came from, and how long ago it happened. So a biblical perspective has to start at Genesis 1. Yes. That's right. Now, in Genesis, it claims that all people on earth today descend from the two original people, Adam and Eve. It also claims that about 1,600 years after Adam and Eve were created, a global flood covered the world, and only eight people, the people who were on board Noah's Ark, survived. The Bible also claims that a few generations after the flood, all people were dispersed from a central location called Babel. It's fascinating because really then there's three starting points, aren't there? Yes. We start with Adam and Eve. We restart with Noah's sons and daughter-in-laws. And then we restart at the Tower of Babel. Yes. Okay. Now thinking about Babel for a moment. Babel is somewhere over in here in the Middle East. Okay. Okay, that arrow is not quite perfect, but it's over there. The Bible says that all people migrated from that central location. Now that's really interesting because modern geneticists have discovered that pattern. The same pattern. The same pattern. Now, they don't want the center of origin there. They put the center of origin over here in East Africa. And they call that the out of Africa event. Okay. Now, based on human genetics, this is actually the female line, the, the mitochondrial DNA. They have people groups starting here in Northern Africa and spreading out around the world Actually, just like the Bible indicates. You see, as soon as you cross this, that's the Tower of Babel story. But the scientists have moved the origin there because it's too uncomfortable with this Middle Eastern thing. <laughs> okay, great. So that's the basic Bible idea of human history. Where do races come from? How do we get Chinese people and African people and Icelandic people? Why, the, the people look different. What happened and how do we account for them in just a few thousand years? Well, let's, let me give you a, an illustration here. This is a family tree that I made for an, an article that I, I published in, in uh, CMI's Journal of Creation. I called it Inbreeding and the Origin of Races. <laughs> this is the family tree of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. Starting with Terah. Terah is Abram's dad. Terah is Abraham's father and Abraham's wife, Sarai's father, Sarah. They had Isaac, they had Jacob, and Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. Interesting. Now, you know how um, you inherit 50% of the DNA of each of your parents. Yes. Well, that means you have 12.5% of each of your grandparents, right. and six and a quarter percent from each of your great grandparents, and then three ish percent from your great great grandparents, and a percent and a half from your great great great. So every generation, you get less and less DNA from your ancestors. If this is 50% and that's 25 and that's 12 and a half, these people should be in about the 6% range. About 6% of their DNA should have come from Terra. Okay. Except because there's so much inbreeding in this family. Oh. Because Abraham married his half-sister. Isaac genetically is identical to their brother. Wow. Ooh. But see, the Isaac then married his second cousin and second cousin once removed Rebecca. But then Jacob married his cousins, Rachel and Leah, who are much closer than cousins because they're all related in multiple different ways to Terah. And when you add up all the percent similarities here at the end, they're not between 1.6% identical and 6.3% identical. That's about the range it should be. They're actually 22%. 22%. 
percent. That's a huge difference. So 22 percent of these 12 brothers, their DNA is identical to Tara's DNA. But not only that, a lot of uh, this 22 percent, about half of it, they inherited the exact same two pieces of DNA. So if Tara had um, a stereotypical trait like curly hair or a big nose or he's really tall or something like that, there's a pretty good chance that that trait is found in two identical copies in all the brothers. So all of a sudden we're going to get racial features appearing very quickly. So once again, that was Dr. Robert Carter, and I would look him up for a, a lot of good information. So next, I'm going to play a clip concerning the dispersing of peoples. And this is from a YouTube channel called Answers in Genesis. And the name of the video is Searching for the Earliest Clues to Human History, Part 22. And... Uh, this is, you know, Ken Ham's ministry, but the name of the guy is Dr. Nathaniel Jensen. So, okay, well, this is, this, is, this is a lot of math for a biological discussion. The point I'm driving at here is, as you take time points on the tree, you see matches, and the strong matches allow you to make predictions. So even if you're not following each of these steps, my point is, I can use these mathematical relationships to make predictions. Watch how this works. What if we go back to 2200 BC, pre-famine? Now we're in the time period between flood, and I'd say Babel, and famine. We can draw a line. We can read off the number of people in history, 44,000. This is based somewhat on the calculations that I did in the past episode about going from four males to five to 10 million. It's a rough estimate. We can get a mathematical relationship. So what this says is to go from 44,000 people, which is just a fraction of a million, 0.044 million, to 400 million people, you have to undergo a 9,000-fold increase in population size. There's been a huge increase in the number of people on the planet from 2200 BC to 1800 AD. At this point in the tree, we really don't have any branches to speak of by which we can understand human population growth. This is, this is now closer to the point I'm trying to make. But I know, because these are always matching, that this is going to, whatever 225 is divided by, is going to give you a number that's close to this. I know that because of the two examples I just showed you, there's a match. These two lines match, and so I can use them to inform each other and make predictions. So I can do a little bit of algebra. Solve for the question mark. You don't have to know algebra. I'll do it for you. What this predicts, then, is, in 2200 BC, we should see 0.02 branches on our family tree. What's a 0.02 branch? It's meaningless. You don't give birth to two one-hundredths of a person. It means you just wouldn't see hardly any branches at all. You can also flip the math around and say, okay, if we want to see two branches on our family tree, or three branches, whatever you want, at 2200 BC, how many men do you have to sample? This is the biggest point I'm driving at, we can use this graph to make predictions. And one of the, the key prediction I'm trying to show you here is, how many men do we have to sample to get at the most ancient time points in history? That's what this graph allows us to do. You do the algebra, solve for the, the purple question mark. What this says is, to find 2200 BC, just a few branches, you have to sample 18,000 men. 
which of course is going to change that number right there. It's not going to be 225, and it's going to change the, the values on this axis. Even if you didn't follow all that, this is this is the point I want to I'm just trying to prove to you. We have sampled 300 men, and it's allowed us to get at a section of human history, thousands of years of human history. But because the number of branches on the family tree has gone from four, no one has three boys, to nearly four billion, there's a huge sampling question we have to address. How many men do we have to sample to have any hope of having more ancient branches? The branches that could tell us who the ancient Egyptians were and who the ancient Persians were and the Assyrians and the people in the Indus River Valley and China and so on and so forth. What would it take to find the branches at Babel close to it or shortly thereafter? There's 70 men listed in Babel. My guess is those are the heads of families. They may have had sons themselves. They're going to multiply. They, they multiplied. They had an average of seven to eight kids per couple in Genesis 10 is what it implies. And if they kept reproducing that fast, you're going to get to a thousand pretty quick. Let's do the math to find out how many men we have to sample today to have a mathematical chance of getting close to these original men at Babel, these lineages. Well, a thousand is just a fraction of a million. So 400 million divided by a fraction of a million is a 400,000 fold change. So it's a multiplication factor. You multiply 1,000 by 400,000, you get 4 million. We've undergone a 400,000 fold increase in male population size since that time, which is, I'm saying, roughly 2400 BC. Well, how many men do we have to sample today to see just two of those thousand branches? You do the math, the algebra, you need to sample 800,000 men. It's of course gonna change that number, it's gonna change the axis. My big point is this, why do we only have two branches at these earliest stages, which may be Shem and Ham and we're not have Japheth? My point is not that these lineages, Japheth's lineages necessarily go extinct. That could be true. My point is, especially given that the, the, the slow start he had in Genesis 10 is, we simply may not have sampled enough people yet to see it. Japheth's lineage or whoever this lineage is. So if Noah is where I think he is, and it's still a question of debate, but if he is where I think he is, based on the 300 men we've sampled, Japheth's lineage may still be out there, running around the globe today, we just haven't sampled it yet. And the math that I've just shown you gives us a prediction, a rule of thumb by which we can say, okay, here's how many men we need to sample to get to that point in history. And the math I just showed you gives us the way forward to answer all these other unanswered questions. My prediction is there still is a lineage of the first Americans running around somewhere in the Americas today. Maybe they got wiped out. Maybe they went extinct. I mean, the, today's Native Americans, the people who came in in the AD era, see those previous episodes for the explanation, maybe they did wipe all of them out. But my guess is there may still be an ancient lineage running around the Americas, and if you sample enough Native Americans today, you might find it. And that'll answer our question. What about the ancient Egyptians? Sample enough people today, and you might find it. Same thing with the Assyrians, the Babylonians. To get at the earliest points in human history, Abraham's DNA, you have to sample millions of men. So what that means is this new history that we're uncovering 
is the beginning of the search. And what I've shown you are the initial results. And with 300 men in this main study and total around the globe, if, if you go searching the scientific literature and say, how many men have had their complete Y chromosome sequence by which we can reconstruct the family tree? I think it's under 5,000. So that's remarkable. Under 5,000 men that we've learned this much about history, how much more is waiting to be unlocked as we sequence more Y chromosomes from more men, which means you and me and everyone else around the globe. So this may be sort of a disappointing conclusion to all this. It implies there's a sequel coming, and indeed there is. As we sequence more Y chromosomes, more of these answers are coming in. But what we've seen is that the key to finding these answers is the 4,500 year timescale. The hero of the plot, in this case, is the biblical timescale. You don't find these answers if you adopt the evolutionary timescale. So once again, that was in Answers in Genesis, and you heard the voice of Dr. Nathaniel Jensen. Uh, it's kind of confusing, um, a lot of math in there. I would suggest if you watch the video, it makes more sense. But um, you might find some interesting things by him as far as the mathematical uh, predictions of the growth of population and how it fits within, you know, since the flood about 4,400 years ago. So I, f I find that very fascinating. And finally, uh, I'm going to read some passages from a book called After the Flood by Bill Cooper, who's it's not the same as William C Milton Cooper. This guy is uh, a council member and trustee of the creation science movement. And so, but, and so I want to read some of this book. It's really fascinating. And I would encourage you, uh, truth seekers, to, to get this book. But first, here is another song from my brother, the band called Hendrick. Taken by your face became my favorite place to go When I had to know such beauty existed It shines like stars in the dark Like rushing blood into my heart and Once I've had a piece of it I just can't get enough of it So be my love let my life become a light that shines for you. Oh, be my love and let my life become a light that shines for you. Oh, and just for you. breath I say these words with one small thought I give you my world I'll give you the stars above joy peace and all my love so be my love and let my life become a light that shines 
So that is A Light That Shines For You, a beautiful song, perhaps one of my favorite by my brother, and the band is called Hendrick, and you can find that on iTunes. Okay, so finally I would like to go through, uh, talk about this book called After the Flood by Bill Cooper, a uh, trustee of the creation science movement. And I want to read this here on the back. It says, the author lays out astonishing evidence showing how the earliest Europeans recorded their descent from Noah through Japheth in meticulous kept records knew all about creation and the flood, and had encounters with creatures we would call dinosaurs. These records of other nations lend chapters uh, 10 and 11 of Genesis a degree of accuracy that sets them apart from all other historical documents of the ancient world. In a book which is the fruit of more than 25 years of research, he traces the development of the creation evolution controversy that raged in the ancient world and explodes many of the myths and errors of modernist biblical critics. Now, I can't really read uh, some of this to you uh, because he has pictures of these um, genealogy trees mapped out and he has text from ancient sources and and talks about how they line up now there's some linguistic uh, differences sometimes but they're very similar and what it says about each of them and it's quite interesting so he mostly focuses on the European lineage uh, you know nations like Britain and Ireland and uh, and some others like that um, but he does do a little bit of ham and Shem as well and so uh, this is fascinating to me. I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 2. It says, History has never been so popular. The man in the street has never been so well informed about his past as he is today. And yet it is a sad and unhappy fact that for all that has been said, written, and broadcast about the early and more recent history of mankind, there remains a very large body of historical evidence that is mostly passed over in silence by today's scholars. And because it is passed over by today's scholars, it never reaches today's general public. I say that this is sad because it is not as if this vast fund of knowledge is hard to get on, get at. On the, contract, on the contrary, every fact that you are about to read is available to anyone who takes the trouble to look, and each fact can be obtained cheaply enough. It does not lie in obscure libraries about which no one has heard or to which none can gain access, nor is it written in languages or scripts that cannot be deciphered. Indeed, scholars have been aware of the existence of this vast body of information for many years. So why is it passed over in such silence? Why is it, for example, that no modern book on the early history of Britain goes back beyond the year 55 BC, the year when Julius Caesar made his first attempt to invade these islands? We may read in such books of this culture or that people, this stone age or that method of farming, but we will 
read of no particular individual or of any particular event before the year 55 BC. This has the unfortunate effect of causing us to believe that this is because there exists no written history for the, those pre-Roman times, and that when they landed in Britain, the Romans encountered only a bunch of illiterate savages who had no recorded history of their own. But our conclusion would be wrong. For we will see, as our study progresses, that the Britons whom the Romans encountered were, on the admission of the Romans themselves, a people who could teach the Romans a thing or two about the finer arts of warfare, and who left a clear and written record of themselves dating back to the very earliest years of their existence as a nation. These records still survive, and we shall be considering them in some detail. We shall also be examining many other ancient records that various peoples have left behind them, and we shall note with interest the story that is told by each one of the, these documents. Far more can be known about the early recorded history of mankind than is generally allowed, and what is revealed by this history is a story that is very different indeed from the one that we are used to hearing. So this is just a part of this book. I, I think I would really recommend getting this for anyone interested in genealogies and where nations originated from and the, and the documentations. But I think the idea of it is what I want to focus on. Uh, I haven't done this research myself, but what he did was he went to ancient chronologies and researched them and then found, and, and even ancient writings of, of history or historical claims and how much they line up with the biblical account. And so that's what I think we need to be doing. And more scientists and archaeologists and historians need to be doing is searching for the oldest writings, the oldest chronologies, and see what they say. Uh, because if the Bible is true, all of these nations came from the same location, uh, which was, you know, everybody came from Noah and his family, and they landed in uh, Mount Ararat, which most people would suggest is in modern-day Turkey. Um, now, I wanted to mention this uh, real quickly because I don't know if I agree with this or not, but it's kind of interesting. There's a series on YouTube called Solomon's Gold, and it's the claim that, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that I, I kind of, I haven't, I'm not going to give my opinion because I haven't done a lot of research on it, but um, the idea is that the real Mount Ararat was not in Turkey, but the, the Mount Ararat in the Bible was actually like in India, um, and that, the, uh, well, I won't get into everything, but, um, one of the passage, one of the verses in Genesis, uh, 11 said that they journeyed from the East to dwell there in, and built the tower. And, uh, so if they journeyed from the East, um, that's different than from Turkey because Turkey to Babel is from the North or Northwest. So. Um, anyway, that's kind of an interesting thought, but that also might explain why there's uh, a whole lot of people in the East 
compared to the rest of the world. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I just wanted to throw that out there. If you're interested, check out Solomon's Gold. And uh, there's a lot of things in there that I think are a little far reaching, too. But it's interesting. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, this is just, um, just about the dispersing of nations. And it's just a start, starting point. This podcast, this episode, and every episode is by no means uh, exhaustive. It's just, I'm pointing you to some resources. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it's somewhat interesting. Uh, as tired as I am, I wasn't even uh, in the mood, really. I was kind of low energy, but I pushed myself to get this done, and hopefully it, it doesn't come across like I'm uh, forcing it. Um, but I'm just trying to keep up and do it uh, the best I can. I'm, I'm not a professional I'm just trying to present what I have learned over the last uh, 10 years. And I'm not the best at presenting and, and saying these things. That's why I try to include some clips or read some passages from books and things along the way to try to keep it somewhat interesting. And, and hopefully I'll get better as this goes along. And like always, I usually try to say this at the beginning of the episodes, but I'll say it here. If you have anything uh, you want to contact me and talk to me about, about this episode or anything, you can email me at truthtransistorradio at gmail.com. So feel free to do that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And the next one, we will be talking about the next major events, uh, mostly Israel in Egypt and then the uh, Red Sea Crossing. So we'll be talking about that next. All right. Thank you all and have a wonderful day.